Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. Oh my God, girl. Can you believe it? We're here in 2021. I, I cannot. Everything has changed. But suddenly, everything has changed. Louie, how are you? I am good. I'm re- I'm drinking a full pizzeria. Um, so I'm not well, bitch. That is a well drink. Um, it's it's an unwell drink. Let's be real. <laughs> um, I'm not an alcoholic, but I feel like drinking these specifically, they make you feel so bad. These have become like sippers. I cannot. And this is like a tall boy. Like I am going to die if I chug this. But we've made it to 2021. Um, I feel like everyone's kind of dusting off the crust of, you know, the holiday rest period. Hopefully everyone out there had a nice little siesta. But we're here. Hello. Hi, everyone. This is The Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or a mini genre, or in this case, a year in review, and we give you a history, and then we tell you what we liked and what we didn't like. Yes, this is our fan favorite uh, year in review. This is basically our Academy Awards. We've got our little gold men, though they're all wearing masks because we know it's COVID times. Right. I keep my little gold men very um, neatly, you know, arranged, a, a, a diorama, if you will. Well, mine charge 500 an hour, so we need to speed this up. <laughs> wow, that's pricey in this economy. <laughs> that's one stimulus check. Well done. Well, before we move anywhere further into this stimulating conversation, we should move into some old business. Yes. Before moving into the year that was 2020. Absolutely. Last episode, um, well... <laughs> Hi, hello. Last episode, we had a bonus episode. Oh my god, we did. So our last episode was actually a little bonus content. We had um, a little chit-chat with Sam Golzari, uh, a star of American Dreams, that's Dreams with a Z, which we talked about in our Mandy Moore episode. But um, we might have more little bonus things. We love a good bonus, and we hope you guys enjoy them. And what's cool about being able to do these is... You know, we run this show that's about film, but it's also about performances and actors and their process. And we talk about that a lot. And so it's cool to actually be able to talk to some actors about some of the things that they've done. And so that was one of the things I loved about listening to that Sam uh, Golzari interview was that I got to hear, you know, really what it was like for him, especially in that specific time period playing this character, this sort of divisive character in this divisive comedy. Yeah. And also just like, I don't know, I loved hearing him him say, you know, um, for me, the movie was a success. It was my American dream. And I, you know, he he bears no ill will about like how it was recepted or how well it did. He, he's, you kind of get the sense he's been around the block in Hollywood and sees how it is. And he's like, the that it got made at all was a success. And so, um Thanks to Sam and to uh, and to you, Gavin, for uh, for I, I texted you very randomly with that, and you said let's 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 do it, bitch. I honestly deserve no thanks. I, I genuinely, it's all all you and Sam, and and just genuinely, if you haven't gone back to listen to that episode yet, I, I highly recommend it. It's it's very good. Two episodes ago, our last regular episode, we talked about the queen of the holiday season. I would say for 2020, Miss Dolly yeah. Parton, um, legend and icon for all seasons. Um, and we asked you guys to vote online for your favorite uh, Dolly Parton movie, and the results are in. 7% voted for Other, which included a very, very early vote for Rhinestone. 
Jim Talks actually wrote into us um, to say very early before we even put up the poll to say I'd like to vote early for my favorite Dolly movie before I forget. Despite the negative reviews, my favorite Dolly movie is Rhinestone. This is where nostalgia comes into play because I would watch it over and over with my mom and it always made us smile. Yeah. See, I love that. I love it, too. Yeah, it's not a good movie, Jim. I'm sorry, but it, it's great. to. I, there's plenty of movies I really love that are not good movies because I've attached really beautiful memories to them. So I, I absolutely get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, we also had some people talk about uh, Straight Talk. And so those were our other votes. My pick, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, came in at third place with 11%. Steel Magnolias came in at 30, 33%. And then Gavin's pick, 9 to 5, came in at first place with 49%. You guys love that 9 to 5. It's very good. I would like to say that both my sister and her mother-in-law commented on Facebook that if they had Twitter, they would vote for Steel Magnolias. So maybe they would have pushed it over the edge. You never know. Manish also wrote, he wants to give a shout out to Best Little Whorehouse, um, but he voted for something else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get it. And Best Little Whorehouse is great. It's it's one of those things where like when she's firing on all cylinders, when she's like given the opportunity to light up the screen and and really play a character you know that's that's like 50 percent dolly 50 percent, you know her just having a good time there's no wrong choice i mean and also like all three of those movies are just so fun so good yeah um all classics american canon um so thank you dolly i i, I believe i read she's taking a rest for this year and she's it's well deserved oh it's absolutely well deserved yeah um, but if we're done with old business now, I think it's time to dive right into the cool, cool waters of what was the year in film cinema of 2020. So 2020 was, as we know, the year in which theater died. Yes. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Theater was but- dead and then was reborn on TikTok. Ratatouille, <laughs> ra- which I think should have been named Ratatouzical the musical in the vein of Suzical the musical, but I'm not going to get mad about it. I'm just stunned in silence. <laughs> I read it musical the musical. Yes. <laughs> okay, listen. Let's get it trending. Let's get it going. And you know what? I can't be. I can't be mad at that because I was really upset when the sequel to the Equalizer was not called the Sequelizer. And now that and now that Queen Latifah is going to have her show, there probably won't be a third movie, which should be called the Threequalizer. The, see, people just aren't thinking right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why aren't we ad execs? <laughs> so 2020 was a, a year that was chaos for film. Obviously, in America, when the pandemic hit, nobody knew quite what anything was going to be like, whether it's truly a failure of our government, which it is, or a failure <laughs> of our media. It's one of those things that I, I really, no one, no one was prepared for it. Nobody knew what to do. Theater shut down. We both live in New York City. Yeah. Our theaters are still shut down. They have never reopened. Uh, and I think a lot of people thought this is going to be the death knell for the theatrical experience when it comes to movies. Right. On top of that, you know, we we predicted last year that we were moving more towards that inflection point in which streaming was going to be a major player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And surprise bitch yeah exactly this year it it became the only player it's the only game in town and so i think we're gonna have an interesting conversation about 
you know, the state of film going into 2021 by having a look back at 2020. We did talk about the basically like the democratization of like watching more, more period, but also in in like being able to see more of these like smaller movies, high art movies that maybe would not penetrate all places across the U.S. Now, literally anyone can go to their laptop and start streaming, uh, you know, stuff that they may probably would never even had the chance to like not even like, you know, didn't want to but didn't get the chance to um and we so we talked about that last year and looking at the slate of films this year it's like you could watch literally the new york film festival was streaming movies you know you could go like drive to drive-ins and stuff like that all these you could and like and now like sundance they're going to be selling tickets for people to stream movies you don't have to go to utah to sundance and to watch these movies um and that's huge that's such a big change for how uh, we consume film and and that should be pretty interesting and i know there's probably some critics who won't love that oh yeah i mean there's always gonna be gatekeepers but i you know i think it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting going mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. we had what maybe two and a half months of nor quote normal Life. I, I believe the last movie I saw in theaters was um, Sonic the Hedgehog. Is that right? <laughs> the The last film I saw in theaters was First Cow on wow. March twelfth. I might have of, seen yeah. Emma after that, though. Um, I, I definitely remember seeing Emma at the at the at the draft house. Um, so yeah, my last movies were Emma and Sonic the Hedgehog. And, you know, both we, literary classics. But, I mean, truly um, icons in their own um, way. One's faster than the other, though. So, hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, Emma can really run. Yeah, she is a speedy Gonzalez. Um, so, you, you know, there was like uh, and what's funny is like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying like, oh, if the if the Oscars were right now, like what were the movies that would, you know, win everything? And it was such like, a small little nugget. Yeah. I mean, the running gag since then has been Harley Quinn. Right, right. Har- uh, Birds of Prey was going to win everything. Um, <laughs> and, and especially, you know, the Oscars have moved their, uh, you know, deadlines. I, I mean, the the movies of, quote, 2020, we must kind of put a big asterisk on because so many of the movies and not, we're not talking about like, oh, we're not seeing In the Heights or West Side Story or, you know, all those big temple movies that truly have just been pushed away like black widow whatever but there are a lot of um oscar baity movies that for still want to do a qualifying run but fully will not be out for the public to watch until like february and march which is insane um yeah and so we're talking about like you know movies that we love that quote like in big air quotes big asterisk came out in 2020 but truly you know like even something as like big as nomadland will not be out for a long time um right. pe- people will not be able to and and for whatever reason you know the distributor is like they're not putting this uh, anywhere for people to watch right now um which is a shame but you know uh, so a big like buffer on this conversation because you know what we got instead was i don't know the prom <laughs> all right so i think that brings us to our rewind so why don't we get into the past 
of 2020. Last year, at this time, we had already had the Golden Globes. Mm -hmm. So we were able to talk about the Golden Globes. Uh, We were waiting until February 9th, which would have been the Academy Awards. That's Um, so insane. Yeah. Just to reiterate, the Academy Awards for this year will not be until April 25th. Absolutely. That it's, it's two plus months late later than usual. January is never a strong movie month. You had things that came out like the the remake of The Grudge mm-hmm. uh, or the reboot, whatever you want to call it, like a boss, which was the yes, um, the Selma Hayek, Tiffany uh, Haddish, Rose Byrne, uh, from what I've heard, disaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't enjoy that? <laughs> yeah. Uh coming strong january 17th you have bad boys for life and doolittle uh doolittle which is yeah an unmitigated disaster yeah Uh, i imagine it's a bit tender yeah oh i'm unarmed i pose no threat to you emotional stress over the years has done damage to your stomach get away from me you have a severe impaction of the colon and if it don't manually fragment it It'll go septic. You won't be able to protect anything anymore. Hmm? Ooh, that sounds like some tummy ache. Tell you what, give us five minutes. If you don't feel better, you can fry us all. Stop talking. Just get on with it. But Bad Boys for Life is currently the highest grossing American film of 2020. That's bonkers. I mean, yeah, and especially- it made $206 million. Compared to like what, uh, and two years ago, uh, Avengers, whatever the fuck it was called, yeah, um, made a billion dollars. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to give you some perspective, Sonic the Hedgehog by Charlotte Bronte mm-hmm. uh, came in at second place in domestic gross with one hundred and forty six million dollars. So, I mean, uh, it, <laughs> thank goodness, I guess these like kind of B list tent poles were moved out into like. The winter, I guess. Um, yeah. But I guess that's also because this summer we were going to have, you know, Black Widow was going to come out. Mulan was supposed to come out. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 was supposed to go to theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Tenet. And, and there, tenet yeah. <laughs> tenet, tenet? The, Lol. The, the movie that was going to save cinema. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned Sonic the Hedgehog. That comes out in... February. It was Valentine's Day, I remember. It was a date night. Ugh. Guess I had a bonus life. <gasps> oh, yeah, baby. A Sonic one, a big tank zero. I'm sorry. Did we get that on camera? How are you not dead? I have no idea. Do you see me dancing? Yes, I saw you dance. Is that all you got? No, but thank you for asking. At that point, we actually had had the Oscars, and it was a huge movie moment because... Yeah. Parasite, which we talked about extensively in our last year's roundup, won Best Picture. Mm -hmm. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. And it was one of those moments where I I was curmudgeon. I was like, I'm not going to fucking watch this shit. They're never going to give it to the right movie. It's going to it's going to be the fucking Sam Mendes 1917 bullshit. Oh, God. Imagine like anyone thinking like... (laughs) People will be talking it about won the Golden Globe, Louis. I know, but no one. I, you said the words 1917, and I said, 
hmm, was that a movie? Yeah, you're like, do I know her? Yeah. Um, but Parasite, like, she was the girl. Like, she was yeah. the moment. Everyone was talking about that movie. She stood up, she took off her glasses, took off her overalls, and she was gorgeous. She was gorgeous. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's it's funny to, to see something deservedly yeah. win. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that started off what everybody thought was going to be like a great year yeah. for cinema. You know, it's going to be the moment. It's going to be, you know, March comes along, people start getting hints that things aren't going great. And also uh, that, but but also just thinking like, oh, you know, by Easter we'll be fine. It's like, yeah. no one ever could have, no, no one was predicting that it would be this long. Right. Well, I mean, you look at early, you know, early March, you get things like Swallow and First Cow, these indie films that are coming out to theaters, you know, even even late February, you get The Invisible Man, which is a big Hollywood movie, but also a very micro budgeted film. Right. And you see these things as like not a care in the world. It's like business is normal. We're going to do our thing. And then you see other things like Onward. Mm-hmm. Pixar's first big venture of the year suddenly is just on Disney Plus. Yeah. And then Bloodshot, which is Columbia Pictures' big move into the superhero genre with the Valiant comic character Bloodshot, is like Ugh. suddenly on demand. Yeah. Yeah. After being in the theater. Right. For like, but like for like a minute. Cause he, I remember, you yeah. know, but first cow, Emma, um, never rarely, sometimes always. They all had these like tiny, tiny little openings, and then, you know, obviously everything shut down and were quickly moved online. But the, I think we're all waiting. Like, what are they going to do with Onward? What are they going to do with Bloodshot? Like, these are bigger movies. And and then of course, like even looking further down the road, like people were like, no, 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 Tenet's coming out for sure. Like, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and the first big film to test the water for any of this was trolls world tour yeah. and we did a whole episode on dreamworks animation so you know my opinion of the trolls mm-hmm. <laughs> but universal and dreamworks decide to put it out on march 17th they announced that it would be simultaneously released in theaters and for digital rental on april 10th in the united states and canada due to the pandemic uh and trolls world, world tour i believe had only been released in russia at that point um, big market there and, for, with trolls yeah, it's, it's, it's singapore and malaysia they actually have them there so that's the <laughs> like we don't need to go to the theater um in russia troll watch you uh, <laughs> Stop. So, sorry and it was a it was a huge gamble for them to do this and amc theaters stated they would not license anything from nbc universal and regal cinemas followed suit uh you know huge universal ban and right, but they're, they, they were mostly pissed off, though, because it made so much money, you know, like, right, if, right, if exactly. It had, if it was First Cow, if First Cow's distributors, which I can't, I don't know who it is, but like a small thing, like, no one was like, well, we're never going to show an A24 movie ever again. Like, but no, <laughs> but right. because this was a universal movie and because it made over a hundred million dollars, which had never happened before for a movie, like, this is like thinking about. The first days of the fucking like iTunes store, you know, when all of a sudden people are buying 99 cent songs and, you know, the CD fucking companies are pissed off. Like, (laughs) this is just, you know, we're we're seeing such a radical shift. Uh, And yeah, of course, so the theaters, 
freaked the fuck out. People aren't already going to go see movies because they can't. And right. now they have basically no product. So Trolls World Tour ends up being this unmitigated success, you know, makes 50 million in domestic revenue within the first six days. Uh, by April, it had made over 100 million. It made more than the original Trolls movie. Based on foreign territories alone, it ends up pulling in 44.7 million. So it was a gamble that really paid off. And like you said, people wouldn't have been so mad about it if it hadn't been making money. You know, one of the controversies that surrounded it was that, you know, Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake were not made aware that the film was going to be on VOD release. Yeah. And they were essentially promised bonuses if the film performed really well theatrically. And they weren't going to get those bonuses because, because it wasn't playing theatrically, even though it was. But, right. you know, the, the the income was never going to be that much. It's funny because this is one of the few movies that was out during that time. It ended up being number one at the box office for multiple weeks. Hey, man, there he is. King Trollex of the Techno Trolls, right? That's right. Who's asking? Queen Barb of the Hard Rock Trolls. And I'm here to take your string, bro. No way. Ooh, don't do it, man. If we lose our string, we lose our music. It would be interesting to know if, if we lived in a place... Like, there are no theaters that we can go see right now, Gavin. If we wanted to go to a movie theater, we'd have to drive to Pennsylvania or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think there's some places in Jersey, because I think I've seen some people that I've sort of been, like, silently scowling at going to theaters in New Jersey wearing masks. Like, this is the thing, guys. And and this is going to be... This is a small sideways diatribe. Listen, just because a place is open doesn't mean you have to go there. Right. Right. And if you're going to go to a theater, I get it. You can put your fucking mask on. But you know what? All those other people, they have to be there because they're getting paid and they're just people that you are potentially fucking over. Yeah. yeah. And I get it. Everybody's trying to be safe. Everybody's trying to be safe. I totally get it. But like, I don't know. Just think about other people. And I get like wanting to get out of the house. But like, if you're driving to a theater or whatever, like, just drive around. Like, go. Yeah. You don't have to go to a theater. I mean, and so, yes, I, I, I wonder what it is like to go to a theater right now. I would not go to one, but like to the movie going experience right now doesn't seem like something I want to do anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, there is no movie good enough for like, I, I remember uh, the, the news stores were coming out like, I braved the coronavirus to see Tenet the way it was supposed to be. And it's like, lol, who cares? It's like, calm down, Tom Cruise. Yeah. We saw, yeah. we saw your video. Yeah. Well, you back in a movie theater, everybody. I loved it. I loved it. You got to sort of see everybody scramble a bit and and sort of figure out what to do with their properties. And so you see things like the sort of um low broad, low budget but slightly higher production value uh musical remake of Valley Girl go on demand. You see things like Scoob the computer mm-hmm. animated Warner Brothers Pictures uh, film go on to on demand. The Lovebirds got shuffled to Netflix. Yep. The High Note became available from Focus Features for on demand. Uh, 
and it's just interesting to see how quickly people sort of began partnering off mm-hmm. with these streaming services and also figuring out who owns what in terms of streaming services like hbo max hadn't been out yet you know this eventually we're going to get to hbo max in the middle of the summer but you so you have mostly warner brothers properties there hulu is now a disney property or has been a disney property for a while so you get a lot of things more adult disney you basically get like all the fox things that disney doesn't want to put on disney plus exactly (laughs) and it's interesting it's just sort of interesting to see the scramble to see how quickly everybody you know and and there were things that were supposed to get you know, theatrical runs in June on June 12th, you get to five bloods, mm-hmm. which we talked about in our Spike Lee episode, which was supposed to have a theatrical run, even though it's a Netflix film. Right. And, and that movie, you know, there was the, there is the pandemic, but also this summer, there was so much um, conflict and uprising and talking about talking about, you know, black justice and, uh, I mean, I remember very viscerally, Gavin, you and me recording our Angela Bassett episode and both of us just like feeling so defeated and like useless. And I think a lot of the country was feeling defeated and useless like that one specific weekend. Um, And a movie like Defy Bloods, I mean, there was a lot of great black theater and film uh, happening this year. And so I am grateful for these movies that kind of are like picking up the mirror, you know, reflecting the culture back to us and giving us an outlet for these kind of emotions. Like it was a catharsis almost. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, even though Defy Bloods didn't get its theatrical run, like I'm very glad that we got to see it uh, on Netflix. Talking about Dr. King. Talking about a man of peace. And that's what got Dr. King killed. I'm as mad as everybody. All us bloods got a right to be, but we bloods. Don't let nobody use our rage against us. We control our rage. And what y'all trying to do right now ain't changing shit. So stand down. That's an order. I mean, like the movies that we would have seen in the summer, you know, we were going to see in the Heights. We were going to see Wonder Woman. We were going to see Tenet. There were a lot of things that either went away for like a long time. (laughs) Like when will we see you in the Heights? I don't know. And then there were uh, just like the little shuffle, the shuffle babies. It was, you know, Wonder Woman maybe got 10,000 release dates uh, before settling on the Christmas HBO thing. But I guess also, like you said, summer is when HBO Max revealed thine self. Um, and became has become a huge hub for all these Warner Brother Warner Brothers properties, um, and will continue to. I mean, apparently, you know, going into next right. year. And and while you know, Tenet becomes this sort of beacon that they keep pushing, uh, you know, back. It, you do get these, like you said, new streaming service that the really. I you know, the, not that we are not sponsored by HBO Max, but HBO Max is pretty great it has maybe the best library yeah of of most streaming services it's the one i think netflix should really sort of watch out for yeah it's a it's a higher price point but like deservedly so like it's worth yeah the, the like the extra like extra seven bucks or whatever 
Um, but it but it's so interesting to to see that happen. And while that is happening for the theatrical release, when people are still scrambling, confused, and and trying to figure out when theaters are going to be able to reopen, uh, Disney has a amazing hit that occurs in July with Hamilton. Yeah. Now this is going to lead to a separate conversation, which yes. is what do you consider a film and what do you consider just a, a taped stage show? Right. We were, I, I talked, we talked a little bit earlier about this, like on letterboxd, I saw people were like reviewing Hamilton and I was like, wait, what? Because we had, a, I don't want to see a glut. There is like a micro trend that maybe will continue and turn into a, the norm where filmed stage productions of Broadway and theater shows uh, are are available to stream. We had um, What the Constitution Means to Me on Amazon, Hamilton on Disney, and American Utopia on HBO Max. Uh, and those are unique compared to, say, The Boys in the Band on Netflix, The Prom on right. Netflix, and other... Adaptations. Correct. Of yeah. stage productions. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's film. I don't, I don't, for me, I think you are watching a stage production. The co- yeah. the costuming, the lighting, that is all done by theater professionals. There is a director, like Spike Lee directed American Utopia for HBO Max. And and I I will say, I want to commend both Spike Lee and Mariel Heller, mm-hmm. who did What the Constitution Means to Me for Amazon, because I do think that they both as directors really elevated the way that those pieces are done. And they, they created this sort of nebulous space between a stage performance and a adaptation because camera placement, yeah, uh, the, the distance with the audience, the way that they sort of brought you in closer at the end of the day. And once again, I'm saying I loved both those things, so please don't come to me with your pitchforks and torches, but they are still tape stage shows. Yeah. I reviewed them on Letterboxd. I'll, I'll admit it as that well. That was you, bitch. But, yeah, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one who put them up, too. <laughs> um, but, but I don't know. So I, I do think it's, a, it's an interesting conversation to have because I think we might end up seeing more and more of this maybe without audiences Mm -hmm. until everything gets solved. You know, we are talking to you as of January 4th, 2021 right now, there is two vaccines currently, but the distribution in the U S really sucks. But but also currently, you know, there Diana, the musical allegedly is coming to Netflix and that's not an adaptation. It's going to be filmed um, in front of no audience. Uh, which will be different than, you know, the Hamilton, what we saw, because that was in front of an audience. Same with what the Constitution right. means to me. Some Broadway shows decide to film them in the hopes that maybe it'll be something later. They also film them for archival purposes. Not all of them do that because um, it costs money to do that. Um, but, a, but a good majority of them do because right. the, the Library of Congress wants right. copies. Right. But that's not something that the layperson can just like go and like, Oh, I'm going to rent yeah. the 1940, whatever of Oklahoma. Like you can't do that. Um, <clears throat> but now going forward and there's a big conversation, I think in the theatrical world about should that be, I mean, the, 
that these shows cost so much and so few people will see them and and the access conversation is bleeding from film into theater and like the reverse of that and and so i think the reverse of that is is uh taped shows like that is that film i don't know it's one of those things where you think to yourself sometimes taped theatrical productions do go to theaters i think that was the plan for hamilton to begin with mm, yeah for sure was to bring but i don't know how well what the constitution means to me or american utopia right would have played in just your average theater american utopia maybe even more so in terms of like an audience reacting and having a good time than what the constitution means to me once again I love both of them. I'm not saying right. anything bad, but it, but it's interesting to to see that. To your union, to the revolution, and the hope that you provide. And on the reverse side of that, you're getting things like on July 10th, The Old Guard comes out on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a Netflix-produced movie, so this big action movie was always sort of meant for Netflix. But this was like a big screen action ensemble film. Yes. It starred Charlize Theron, and who we talked about before on the show. And I can't help... I, I liked the way it looked and everything, but I can't help and wonder, wouldn't it have looked so much cooler on the big screen? Yeah, I think that's a, kind of probably the, the question for a lot of these movies, right? Um, yeah. But I I, I, I don't know. It's a... It's a <laughs> it was fun seeing over the holiday break, I'll say, online people at home who made their own theaters at home. I thought that was like a very charming and cute I like this idea that people are able to make the theater their home. Yes. That they're bringing it. And it's truly special. You know, like I saw people who put up curtains and, you know, turned the lights down, had like their popcorn and soda and like their family was together to watch, you know, Wonder Woman or Soul or whatever. I like that idea. And it feels so much so it's like you take out all the bureaucracy of and the corporatization of bullshit. Like, you know, like I don't have to buy the $8 fucking whatever's and it's, I liked that. I thought it was a very charming and, and cute, yeah. fun thing to do. And so, you know, to me, the theatrical experience of being with loved ones and watching, I, I like that. I enjoy that. I will admit though, you know, there was nothing like watching girls trip in a theater full of people and being rowdy, you know, and so there's room for it all, you know, like yeah. the pie is big enough. People are going to want to go see Avengers on the big screen, you know, but if you don't want to, like, we shouldn't have to, you know, like, it's it's fine. And, and it'll be interesting to see which sort of route everybody goes with once this is all over or or whatever form of this mutates into how, how things are going to be from now on, because you get the the hybrid version with Mulan, which was Disney's attempt to you know, be like, hey, we're going to put it on Disney Plus. We have a streaming service, but we'd like you to pay $30 one-time fee. And my sister fucking did it because she was like, hey, I've got three kids. Yeah. And a like, she's like, that's way cheaper than it would have been to get all these kids yeah. to the theater. And 
And so I don't blame her. And then, of course, it eventually ends up on Disney Plus. But like her kids got to see it months before. Yeah. Us normals. Us normals. Oh, man. I hope it doesn't create this weird tiered society. Weird classes society. Anyways, uh, (laughs) we move into August and August is finally when Warner Brothers relents. They're like, hey, things have been going well because everybody's locked themselves down. Come back to the theaters. They're releasing Tenet. Uh, The big story about this over the summer was the fact that it really seemed like, and obviously Louie and I were never there uh, because they won't return our phone calls, but Christopher Nolan seemed to be constantly pressuring Warner Brothers to make sure that this movie was a theatrical experience. And I get that. He made this movie to be a theatrical experience. I totally do. I think the problem is, is it comes off awfully cold when it's a very rich man mm-hmm. saying, I don't give a shit about the health of the people who want to see the movie. I care more about the way the movie is presented. We've talked about this before, and it's worth saying again, art is not more important than people. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> and and, and it, it, like Christopher Nolan, like your art <laughs> is not more important than people, <laughs> girl. And it's frustrating because I think it creates this sort of dichotomy with people where there's a group of people saying like, well, my health isn't worth going to go see your timey wimey blockbuster bullshit in IMAX versus the other people that say like, well, if you don't go, you're killing the theatrical industry. People are going to be out of jobs. People won't need to be spending you know all this money on movies and everybody suffers because you don't go to the theaters. I'm not saying that. I love the theatrical experience uh, when it's good. Sometimes there's some really bad audiences. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, when the theatrical experience is really good, I love it. I love feeling the kinetic energy, the shared union of that experience and whatnot. But also, I'm not willing to put my health at risk. I'm not willing to put other people's health at risk to go enjoy two hours in a in a dark room when i when i could do it at home i could just watch right. it at home and and that's what's frustrating is i i don't think it's one or the other i don't think it has to be one or the other but i think for the moment and what's wrong it, with living in the moment because that's all we have right is we can't do that we just can't and it wasn't a question of knowing going in it was a question as as for every business and everybody's lives this year of an evolving situation uh, I'm very, very pleased the studio put the movie out when they did, uh, and we were able to reach so many people in parts of the world where, because of the response to the virus and the management of the the crisis, uh, they were able to safely reopen theaters and audiences came back to theaters. And uh, you know that that was uh, really wonderful and vastly exceeded our expectations going in. Vastly, um, you know, we're sitting here talking about the the home video release December fifteenth. Uh, which is where we get to address the American public and, and get to release the film in the home, Los Angeles and New York and so forth. Uh, and that's very exciting too. It's not what we imagined, not what we expected, but that's the world we're living in this year. It's also kind of interesting to me because it feels like it's exposing a little bit of, you know, the hard reality of a lot of the movies that are making these top lists, these best of lists, they're never going to, they are not the engines that run Hollywood. They don't pay right. for anything. And more and more these movies you know are just kind of these like crown jewels that like directors and executives like to polish and see like see isn't this beautiful art like this is why we're here when reality like 
it's $2 million down the drain. Um, not to say that I don't love these movies, but like in reality, like <laughs> something like Nomadland or, or like it, it should be available. It should be on Amazon. Like it should be one of those movies that, it, you know, Sound of Metal movie that I really liked. Like it's just like these are movies that don't make money at the theater anyway. Uh, and so it's exposing like kind of like this truth of like, yeah, girl, like I'm so sorry, but how much money really was you know, happiest season going to make at the theater. Right. How much right. movie really was, you know, uh, Crip Camp going to make? Like, not that that was going to be released, but like, it's the hard truth. Like, hey, Hollywood. Yeah. Like, unless these movies are not being put up, unless, it, I mean, I will say, God fucking help us. I'm, I'm going to talk about Hillbilly Elegy now. Um, <laughs> like, which is a movie that I don't think people should see. Um, but people probably would have gone to go see it because yeah. it's Amy Adams and Glenn Close yelling at each other. Um, but like that as a gag is not a reason enough for people <laughs> to watch. Um, and, and also not all movies that are like trying to win Oscars should have to be that. It just, it frustrated me that the, that the conversation got boiled down to, to that sort of simplistic of a narrative. And it's like, you should not feel bad for taking care of yourself. Right. And for taking care of others. Yeah, totally. Um, I I always think, you know, in some way, shape, or form, there's going to be a theatrical experience. It it will persevere. Yes, absolutely. But, but we have, you know, the moment. Also, I don't know. Maybe we just, maybe we don't need movies that are $350 million. What, That's just a thought. What a, just a thought. What a thought, Gavin. That, that is, is a crazy, you are being crazy thought that so, I just had. Are you having some of my pizzeria? Because you were talking crazy talk. <laughs> maybe I'm having a stroke. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want my movies to cost $250 million minimum. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Even if it's just an adaption of Long Day's Journey into Night. Yes. <laughs> I want that. Starring Chris Evans in all the roles. <laughs> uh, so I think when September comes around, you know, and, and this is not to say there were a bunch of things that were still released in August. Bill and Ted Face the Music and the New Mutants are like the only yep. movies I've really seen in the quote unquote the theater because I went to the drive in to see them in August, How- which was a lovely experience. I was going to say, was that fun? Oh my god, so much fun. Yeah. And didn't have to talk to anybody. I would Just love my car. Love to hear from any listeners who experienced um drive-in theaters uh yeah. this year. I went to one and it was for the New York Film Festival and I will say it was not great because our radio was not working. Right. It was a whole fucking mess. But again, and I'm the type of person that likes like I have friends who order their groceries I like going to get groceries and shopping. Not that I'm doing a lot of shopping right now in stores, no, but, but like I have often enjoyed going grocery shopping just because the joy of walking around, doing a thing, the drag of life, um, <laughs> you know, get it, like, so I understand liking the idea of like, I remember I dressed up. For, I was like, I told Derek, like, we're dressing up, we're getting a car, we're driving to go see a movie um, and so it's like i understand why it was like you saw photos of all these drive-ins that were sold out packed with people which which is so funny that you dressed up because i grew up with like in a town near a drive-in and so like it's just it's something the kids do like it's not certainly like it's like get the lawn chairs yeah <laughs> sit out on the yeah so we didn't have but that that's gavin that's 
adorable. It well, was adorable. You know, try being a northern hillbilly. <laughs> hillbilly elegy too. <laughs> the Gavin Media story. <laughs> um, and, and like, I don't know. I guess that sort of really is the tale for the rest of the year. Uh, you get, you know, the Netflix obviously holds their big yes. releases. They're like awardsy movies that they're trying to get out towards the end of the year. So you have things like I'm thinking of ending things coming out in late August and the trial of Chicago seven coming out in September. And you have, you know, Amazon trying to enter that realm with the glorias. Oh God, the glorious. <laughs> yeah. Apple TV getting in on the game with Sofia Coppola's on the rocks. Um, and I think that's where sort of where we're at now is everybody's sort of releasing their awards movies and kind of like pushing out whatever they have left that's like uh, i guess this is fuzzy do you remember the first movie that hbo max put out was it american pickle it was american pickle and the second one i believe was a movie that we talked about so many episodes ago in our melissa mccarthy episode super intelligence Oh, uh, yeah, that just came out. Yeah, not too long ago. Because there's other things in between there. There's like Unpregnant and whatnot. Uh, I love that, Unpregnant. Uh, yeah, it's un- un- Unpregnant's really great. But anyways, go on. But I remember we were talking about, so we were talking about Super Intelligence way back in our episode, how it's been sitting around forever. HBO Max was like, we're going to keep it for us, not release it. Um, and when American Pickle came out, I remember reading, they were like, why did you decide to go with HBO Max for this? And um, Seth Rogen was like, they don't have anything right now. And I thought our movie's not going to get lost there. Uh, it would get lost uh, <laughs> on Netflix, um, which, you know, I guess is kind of smart. I don't know how many people watched American Pickle. Um, both you and I did, Gavin. It's a movie. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's cute. Herschel, what are you doing, man? You will take down vanilla vodka. Or I will do violence. What? You... We'll take down vanilla vodka. Or I will do violence. Look, buddy, I don't have time for all that. I guess the last big gamble that sort of happened in the world of film this year was the last minute decision that HBO Max pulled to put Wonder Woman 1984 Mm -hmm. onto their streaming service on Christmas Day. The same day that Disney is going to put their second Pixar feature of the this year, Soul, mm-hmm. out. And it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, like the like these are, you know, these are prestige films. These are what would have been in the theater for the holiday viewing audience. Right. And now they're in our living room. Soul will be on Disney Plus perpetually from the time it started. Wonder Woman 1984 is only going to be on for this month till January 25th. And then it'll come back whenever it gets its VOD release. But it's funny to think about, you know, it's easy to rush into thinking like this is the future. Like this is all it's going to happen. And certainly HBO Max has said that next year is all their shit's going to be streaming. But Except for possibly Dune. We'll find out when that happens. (laughs) But it's interesting to think, like, you know, to me, it makes sense. Like, it is a holiday. It's Christmas Day. Families are together to watch. I don't, I can't imagine a world and maybe it's going to happen. But, like, it's weird to think, okay, here's, um, I don't know, March 
third and here's dune you know like on hbo max it it doesn't like are we gonna see more things where it's like the tied to a holiday tied to an event type thing as opposed to like dropping in kind of very quiet weeks i don't know we know you're excited this secretary's day Mm -hmm. it's godzilla versus king kong (laughs) Coming Arbor Day is... I don't know what the fuck's coming. Uh, Wicked the Musical, the movie. <laughs> Wicked the Musical, the movie. Um, and and so I think that really sort of brings us to the end of the year. It's such a weird year for film. I, I've had a lot of people uh, that uh, have come to me. I, I put out my top films of the year list, and yes, I then... you do 15 I, films. Yes, I do 15. Um, I was going to do 20, but I didn't want it to be too long. I, I did mention in one of my posts that I saw 176 Ooh. 2020 releases and I kept getting the same joke from people, which was like, there were 15 movies that came out this year. Yeah, bitch. There's movies coming out all the time. Yeah, but a lot. <laughs> but I, I, I've never had the occasion to see that many. And honestly, I don't know if I want to do that again, <laughs> but I liked having the option. Right. Well, also, I... I will piggyback um, off of that comment to say that it's nice to have the option and also the access um, yeah. to see uh, some of these movies. I, you know, you told me like days ago, you were like, you need to see Collective. And I was like, oh, it's, I can just rent it on Amazon. Great. And yeah. I watched it and it fucking shook my soul. Like, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Like, it's, it's great. Incredible. Uh, and it's things like that. I mean, like we said, a movie Unpregnant, which also is one of my favorite movies of the year, is a movie that would have like come and gone and been lost to the universe, you know, wherever. But because HBO put a little like money and ads behind it, and because I was targeted by a Betty Who ad, here we are, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, oh, dude, come on. The whole pregnancy mystery bullshit thing is not my fault. I threw the thing in the dumpster. I need your help, and I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm listening. Okay, I know we're not, like, close anymore. True. And I'm probably the last person that you want to help. Accurate. But you have a car. Oh, there it is. Trust me, if if I could just go somewhere in town, or to St. Louis even, I, I wouldn't even be go here. where? You know, to get the thing, the, the procedure. Well. My one complaint with all these films being on streaming services. And by the way, RIP Quibi. So sorry. So oh, sorry. Yeah, arrested pieces. Yeah. <laughs> um, 10 minute pieces that you can watch <laughs> either vertical or horizontal. I I don't know if I don't know if a lot of streaming services were advertising the right things or mm. because like I barely and I keep my ear to the ground when it comes to film stuff. Like, I barely knew that there was a Meryl Streep, Steven Soderbergh movie yeah. coming to HBO Max. Yeah. Like, I, I... You were, like, on the floor, ear to the ground. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Meryl, where? <laughs> um, and and so, I don't know. I would I would say it's it's one of those things where I think the, the advertising field of a lot of these streaming services got used to the idea that people were going to be home, mm-hmm. that they were going to see these pop up on their streaming service and so they didn't necessarily have to go as hard on advertising which is a huge money drain as it is right but but also like i i don't know 
I, I, just feel, I like knowing these things. <laughs> right. I mean, Jesus, for the Meryl Streep movie, God. But like even for other things that, you know, are truly diamonds in the rough that, you know, would we ever have heard about Dick Johnson is dead if it had not been, I know. you know, like kind of buzzy. And, and that's you and me who watch movies a lot and keep our ear to the ground. But I don't think a majority of people know that this weird but very cool and moving documentary is available on Netflix. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's – I would even argue- – It's it's funny. I, I'd been looking forward to that. I, do you remember last year? We talked about it on last year's episode, like right before we recorded, Netflix dropped. Like they're like, these 60 movies are coming to our streaming platform mm. next year. And Dick Johnson's Dead is one of them. And I, I'm a huge – Kristen Johnson fan because I love Camera Person, yes. which is her previous film. Uh, and but like, yeah, once again, that's because I'm a crazy person yeah. who files that stuff away. Well, and it's like you know, Netflix. What ads did we see? We saw ads for a Hillbilly Elegy. We saw ads yeah. for The Prom, and that's yeah. like you know because Nicole Kidman and I think and and I think the Old Guard, and I think yeah. those were the really yeah. big ones that they. Because even I mean, we, the five blo- the five bloods I remember vaguely seeing. We some also saw you know um, to all the love to all the boys I've loved before too. Like yes. there are it's proven things that are you know that are going to trend X Y Z. But 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 then on the reverse of that HBO Max once again you know let them all talk unpregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, the only thing I saw advertisement for was American Pickle and Supercomputer or Super Intelligence. Supercomputer. <laughs> Supercomputer. <laughs> Listen, I'm not watching that James Corden drivel. They tricked me once with the prom. It, I'm not I'm not doing it again. If I if should we have a segment one star review collectively <laughs> James Corden gets the Louise one star review for yeah. the entire year. Everything he did touches I, hate it. Hate and, it. So and you much. know what? Just for fun, throw in cats. Sure, it was last year, but but no. there was still a lot of screenings of it when, yeah. when theaters closed. But he didn't pay enough for that, okay? <laughs> yeah. Between st- instead, we did. Yeah, we're... we collectively did. Yeah, uh, I, I I do not like. I do not like at all. So we're gonna get into our top films of the year and some of the films that we didn't like as much. But before we do, I would like to introduce a new segment mm. specifically for a year and wrap up episodes uh in the honor of the late great aretha franklin i would like to call this new segment beautiful gowns beautiful gowns beautiful gowns a lot of beautiful Beautiful gowns gowns. and what this is is we're just going to tell you about a couple movies that we saw that were not good but they're pretty to look at. beautiful gowns louis what was your beautiful gown of the year well i i texted you this earlier and i said you know my my beautiful gown of the year is Wonder Woman 1984. This is like lovely, <laughs> to, lovely to watch. Good. You know, I'm happy for her. Wonder Woman looks like she's thriving. Yeah. Um, stylish, fun-ish. Um, she's, she learns how to fly. The jet's there. It's There's some digital for technology. Yes, yes. Which uh, you predicted would be the hot thing in 2020. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, coming, showed up. <laughs> coming hot. Uh yeah, uh, beautiful gowns. I can't say that I thought the movie was good. I don't understand how the power of wishes is more powerful than Wonder Woman or whatever. It's an allegory, Louis. <laughs> sure, fine. Um, beautiful gowns. I love Pedro Pascal, like Kristen. They're, you know, lovely people. Even the stranger guy who Chris 
pine invaded. Lovely to look at. <laughs> uh, he loves invading them. He lo- <laughs> that was a weird word for me to choose, huh? <laughs> yeah, just just go with it. I mean, no one's made me laugh like this in such a long time. I mean, it's true, I don't get out much socially, but you don't get out? Much? No, really. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just surprised <laughs> because you just seem like the kind of person who's like always out. Like people are asking you to go out all the time and you live out and you're just out. <laughs> like you never get in. <laughs> you just seem like you'd be really popular. And I would know because I've never been popular. You haven't? You're so personable, so free. Okay, so Gavin, what was your beautiful gown of the year? My beautiful gown of the year was Mulan. Oh, okay. Good pick. You know, not not a lot of reason for its existence. No. Other than other than very happy when there's a minority led film. Yes. That it's all Asian actors. Love that. So good. I actually think the the lead in the film, Liu Yifei, was so good as Mulan, and I, I really did enjoy that. I love Donnie Yen. I love Gong Li. Uh, Jet Li's briefly in it. Great, great, beautiful. Everybody looked gorgeous. <laughs> you know, they're they're wearing their outfits. She's binding her breasts. Wow! It's save it's saving her from getting yes. arrows. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. Instead of uh. Instead of Mushu, you get a sorceress. I thought she was interesting. She had great, uh, not just beautiful gowns, but beautiful crowns. Oh, wow. Bone crowns and scales. And yeah, just wonderful. Did it really prove its existence to me, much like most of the Disney remakes, which was funny because that was your one star review of last year. All of the Disney remakes. Yes, yes. I would think that I feel like this falls in that category. But hey, beautiful so gowns. much fun to look at. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful gowns. gowns. Horrible. Um, didn't they like thank this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, terrible politics. Terrible politics. T- supporting a possible attempt at genocide. Yes. Yeah. Disney could have really worked harder on that, ma'am. Yeah. Especially since they, just, they had the time. Just a little. Yeah. They had the time. A little dig, deeper digging. Yeah. This is That's all we're asking for. Yeah. Insult me again. You'll taste the tip of my blade. Lower your sword. What? But, but beautiful gowns. But beautiful gowns. It's beautiful gowns. Can I really quickly say that my my second runner-up for beautiful gowns is the Glorias? Um, oh yeah. Just yeah, because yeah. Alicia Vikander and Julie Taymor um, really are just you know giving you visuals, 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 visuals. <laughs> um, the movie to me is a mess, uh, but you know, visuals, beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. It's beautiful gowns. Why don't we move into our picks? Why don't we start with our one-star reviews of the year? Excellent. Let's do that. Oh, what a year. What a year. Um, Gavin, do you, like, how do you do this? Do you have, like, a list of movies that you are like, these These are my one-star honeys all of the year? Oh, baby, of course. <laughs> of course I do. Okay. This is this is not my first rodeo. Right. You are a professional. Exactly. Let's do our, our bottom three, if you will. Okay. I do want to start the segment as as I feel like I always sort of start this segment by saying that we're not this is not a haters podcast. We're not really a call out podcast. We're not here to make anybody feel bad. We know it takes a fucking lot to make a movie. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that go into it all the way down to the caterers. So we're just talking about purely our objective opinion. And we're not saying like, oh, my God, shoot this movie off the planet. 
So some of them, no. maybe we'd be better off for it. Uh, but so we're going to do a nice little bottom three. Yeah, you can still be a fan of someone and not like a movie. Like, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so my third least favorite film that I saw this year was a little film called The Turning. Okay. Uh, the Turning came out at the very beginning of the year. And it is a very loose adaptation <laughs> of the Henry James uh, Turn of the Screw, which, if you remember in our Ghost on Film episode, I named The Innocence my favorite ghost movie. Same, same, same subject material. Okay. Yeah. Source uh, text. Yes, exactly. This starred Mackenzie Davis, who I love, mm. and she's playing the uh, governess of these two children, played by Finn Wolfhard and Brooklyn Prince. Uh, and she she moves into their mansion, Bly Manor, to take care of them. But uh-oh, there's some ghosts. But unlike any other version of Turn of the Screw, no ambiguity here. There's some fucking ghosts. Or, actually, is Mackenzie Davis insane? It's really bad. It's like textbook how not to make a horror movie. <laughs> it's constant jump scares. It... it it's one of those films that stops and and then you're like, wait, was that the end? Yeah. And you're just like, what? I hate that. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, those are movies that like want you to feel like you're just too dumb. You didn't get it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I got it. It was bad. Mm-hmm. My second least favorite film of the year would be the Shutter original Scare Package. Ooh. Now, I'm sensing a theme, Gavin. Let me tell you. Anthology films. Are not easy. Okay. I get it. Because every anthology film is only as weak as its weakest entry. But this was about six weak entries. <laughs> all all stitched together very poorly. And I don't want to get too far into it, but I will say the final story, Joe Bob Briggs shows up as himself. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is just a commercial for Shudder. Yeah. And I and I turned it off. Wow. I was like I was like I've had it officially. Mm. And so that would bring me to my number one one star review of the year, which is Bloomhouse's Fantasy Island. Okay, yes, I, I am aware that this movie does exist. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is a movie you have heard of. Uh it came out towards the very beginning of the year. It is <laughs> actually one of the highest grocers of the year. It is the number 10 highest grocer of the year with $27 million. Wow. Um, and it is a takeoff of the old TV show, Fantasy Island. Which is not but a horror no. series. It is a regular... No, no. Like, when you think of Fantasy Island, it's fun. It's loosey-goosey. It's an island. But this is like Fantasy Island. You go there... And your wishes come true, but uh-oh, there's a twist. It's a very it's Wonder monkey. Woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> the it's, plot of Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's a monkey's paw situation island. Uh and yeah, it just is not good. Uh it's so much cliche. It's trying to do so much with so little. And I just really I mean, there's there's zombies. There's, I don't even, I don't know. It's not worth your, it's not worth your time. It's, you know, stars Michael Pena. 
and unfortunately it has Maggie Q in it. And I fucking love Maggie Q and Ryan Hansen from Veronica Mars. Yeah. Like the, these are people like I want only good things for. Right. But but no, babies, this is not it. I'm a PI. Client offered me a big old payday to figure out what happens here and how. Wants to power the island for himself. I booked to stay three weeks back. Skeptical at first, but then my fantasy started. I saw my daughter who I lost years ago. It was beautiful. But then it got all twisted. Became a nightmare. Rourke found my sat phone and destroyed it before I was able to call for help. He knew everything. Gavin, is it normal or like what's this trend of your one star reviews all being horror movies? Like, tell me, like, well, the funny thing is, is I really like horror movies. I know, and, and we've and we've sort of talked about this before, and maybe I judge them too harsh, harshly, and perhaps that's maybe that's my own flaw. But I, I got to say, you know, because I really like having a horror movie in my top. Mm-hmm. In, and I had a couple this year and I was very pleased. But it just I think part of it is, is I think people think horror is very easy. Mm. That it's, you know, you just need to sort of get that visceral scare out of people. And that's it. And so they don't really push themselves further in any direction. But, you know, every... Everything you make, every piece of art you make is political and maybe should say something and doesn't necessarily have to say the most brilliant thing or, and these three movies especially just feel like they were put together to have something that existed and and not, I said it last year too. I hate the concept of people that are like, oh, just go in there and, and turn your mind off and just enjoy yourself. And it's like, no, that's not, I'm not interested in that. Right. I'm not, that's not the way I consume media. And that's, but honestly, if you go just a little further up my list, it's not all horror movies. I mean, my next, my fourth least favorite film of the year was Kajillionaire, mm. which was Miranda July's latest movie. Yep. Um, I know a lot of people who really liked it. So take me at a grain of salt, I guess. It just didn't do anything for me. I did not like the performances. I thought it was, uncontrollably dour and i i I do not care for that sort of cartoony negative presentation yeah exactly i watched it and i was like i I was weird because i I was reading about like you know oh ever richwood's astounding performance and gina rodriguez's performance i was like i like both these people but what I I I I mean in in all honesty and once again i also really like evan rachel wood and i think she's I think she's really brilliant in, in the things that she says, but in this movie, this is her performance is just doing this voice. Yeah. I was just like, oh, oh my God. It's that voice in a jacket, like a tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get uh, it. And my other one, you know, like I said, that's not a horror movie. If you just go up a little further is Stardust, which is the movie that was made about David Bowie that couldn't use any of the David Bowie music. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's so bad. My review of it was literally David Bowie in the afterlife. Fuck my drag, right? Yeah. Okay, when you said Stardust, I was like, wait, the movie with Daredevil in it? No, no, no. That's fun. That's I fun. I like that movie. one. He's hot yeah. in that. He's uh, always But hot. Louis, what are your bottom three of the year? Okay, so my bottom three of the year. Let's get into it. Um, my third, like third least favorite movie of the year is uh, Amazon's Sella and the Spades. Uh, yeah. directed by Tyresha Poe. She also, um, you know, wrote the screenplay. This movie is available on Amazon Prime. You can watch it now. But, and, and like, 
please, like, you know, this is a, a black woman who wrote and directed this movie. It's uh, a movie about these factions that run this, this fa- these factions of high school students run um, this private high school. And they're all very like, one of them is in charge of drugs. One of them is in charge of, I don't know, gossip. It's very like silly and YA, but like, I don't know, truly just filtered through adults who think that this is how teens act, I guess. Um, this movie just reminded me of like, oh, it's someone trying to do the um, Dear White People, but like yeah. a lot worse. Like, I love Dear White People. Um, uh, I, I also saw this movie and I think I told you it reminded me a lot of Brick. But the thing that I think is brilliant about the movie Brick is it's sort of commentary on film noir. And this movie didn't feel like it had much to say about anything. Right. You know, it's 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 to me, it just felt like both. It's, it's in a weird place of like both treating kids too much like adults and also not respecting kids enough. <laughs> like it felt so fucking like try hardy like kids can be fucking mean and are so crazy because moms are tough on kids sometimes i was like nice try i guess like this is a ya novel i do not want to read um so that's Steel and spades my second uh <laughs> least favorite movie of the year is in fact hillbilly elegy um i could not believe what i was watching when i started to watch it um I, I think I, I already have a very intense distaste for, like, romanticizing poverty. I think it's uh, irresponsible and stupid, especially coming out of, like, the mouth of very um, <laughs> glamorous Hollywood people. Like, <laughs> fucking Ron Howard telling me that I should, like, I, and especially when it rings so false, you know, it rings so false uh, and and I I know this is based on a book and that this writer is problematic for whatever reasons. I I think both both you and me, Gavin, don't come from like big towns, do not no. lead such glamorous lives, and so okay. are familiar. I would say more familiar with stories about poverty poverty than the Gossip Girl of it all. And yeah. Th- I don't appreciate and think it's just so, so wrong to try and, like, show those liberal Hollywood people that this is what it really is like. It's when you just don't get it, especially comparing it to another movie like, say, Nomadland. Um, which is it exclusively about poverty, I would say. Not like, no. not like Hillbilly and, and, and it like definitely tries to right. distance itself from but it that. Fe- yeah. But it feels like the filmmaker and even Francis McDormand understand these characters are not casting judgment or aspersions. Whereas this movie, and I'm only talking about this movie, removed from the book and that text, it feels so just gross. Um, I, I don't, have anything to say about Amy Adams and Glenn Close other than lol. Um, uh, you know, I, I do believe that there are hard and, and wonderful stories about families that are battling addiction and, 
and kids who are trying to make their way out of hard circumstances and make it, you know, something for themselves. But this movie just is not that it's, it's, un, it's, it's so filtered through, I don't know, like Instagram filters <laughs> that it's not real. It's just not, I, I don't buy it for a second. Can I, can I share? I didn't see the movie, so and, and I sort of refused to because I mean I don't know I'm not made of time. But <laughs> the can I share a personal anecdote from from my life? Yes. So my dad uh, was from Missouri, but he lived all over the South. But every every other summer, we would go spend a significant portion of the summer in Missouri with his family uh, because he didn't see them very often. And I remember driving around with him one time when I was maybe like twelve or thirteen. And he was from a six block town. And I don't, I don't exaggerate this. This is a very small town in Missouri. We're driving past and there was a person sitting on their porch and they were shirtless in overalls playing a banjo. And I got highfalutin, you know, Northern New York. Cause it's so funny. Cause when you get there, they all treat you like you're from New York city. And I didn't, I was not from New York city. I was from <laughs> bumblefuck North, uh, like Adirondack <laughs> mountains. Um, and you know, I was like, <laughs> "Look at that hillbilly!" Yeah. And my dad was like, "That's your cousin." Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, so yes, I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's where that's the stock I'm from. Yeah. So right. And so just to say, hillbilly elegy is. I don't even know that they were trying hard. You know, I I don't even know what the point was. Even people who enjoyed the book and you agree with this. I mean, he's a Republican character, you know, he's a, it's very, pull your boots up by your bootstraps, whatever. Even if you are pro that agenda and life, I don't think this is a good story about that anyway. You know, like, even if you are like this, it, it's just, it's all around not good. Um, but anyway, moving on. My number one least favorite movie of the year is The New Mutants. <laughs> the Moon Newtons? The Moon Newtons. Uh, yeah, it's it's really fucking bad. Okay, good. I I got really because that was it's like maybe two more up my list, but yeah, it's a miserable time. It's bad on so many levels. It is working overtime and overdrive to <laughs> say fuck you as a moviegoer, as a comic book lover, as as a queer person. <laughs> like it's it's like every which fucking way as. Uh, me as like a minority person like it's just like everything and not good um the new mutants is the last um marvel uh movie that fox made um right it has been cut and recut and reshot to death was finally mercifully released uh late summer i believe um and Gavin, you saw it in the drive-thru, I believe, right? Yeah, the drive-in, not the drive-thru. <laughs> so I, I wish it lasted only the length of a drive-thru. Right. Um, and I just couldn't believe, what number one, I think all around, maybe with the exception of Maisie Williams, the performances are not good. The characterizations are not good. Um, I think and that it's offensive what they did to... Um, uh, Dr. Reyes, the character, um, she's this Afro-Latina doctor, um, and in the movie, she is, <laughs> she's played by a Latina woman, um, but she's not 
you know, the director is the guy who gave us um, The Fault in Our Stars. The Fault in Our Stars. Yes. And he's said some very stupid fucked up shit about the way he kept one of the cast members on Sunspot was supposed to supposed to be this like Afro-Brazilian character. And he basically just like cast a hot dude who looked like an asshole, I guess. Um, I even think Queen Little Doyen of the Year, Anya Joy Taylor, is not really good. She looks the part. Uh, but, that Russian accent was so bad. But I was like, <laughs> what is going on, Miss Hot Topic Mama? <laughs> take Danny to a safe place, and I'll take care of this bear. going to do i'm going to play with it i i and even blue hunt who god bless i just didn't get it i don't think the movie got it no and especially when the new moons Li- listen when you're when your movie fucking starts with uh, a made-up indigenous tale that's like there's a native american saying i was like i'm out already yeah you've lost me sorry josh boone i'm, I'm out even to like the point of like i've never seen uh, um, comic book like action movie with such little action even you know, they spent all that money on I don't know Anya's arm and that demon bear the demon bear looked cool but like did they fight it I don't know I think they just rolled around <laughs> it and and it's also one of those movies that and, and uh, you know listen Wonder Woman's gonna take heat for this too that when it comes to the big CG battle they set it in utter darkness yeah so you can't tell how bad it looks yeah it's all yeah. the, it's like no, nothing annoys me more because i'm just like okay well i guess there's i'm not gonna see I, this i guess film yeah i guess film was a visual medium <laughs> yeah now it's like a feeling um <laughs> yeah the new mutants there is a queer plot line they love us watching fucking uh wolf spain watching buffy and like oh look willow's gay me too i i <laughs> I mean, good for them for at least showing them kiss, but I don't, no, 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 no. The new mutants are so important, it like in the canon of like comics and for being like these alternative weirdos. And I wish we could maybe, you know, see the actual like horror version of this and not the weird like rom com horror yeah. action garbage fiesta that it turned into but alas i will not call for the josh boone cut (laughs) well i think we've buried enough of 2020 why don't we move into our tops of the year all right we're in our five star reviews we're gonna talk about the films that we loved i put out a video i put out a video every year uh, detailing my top films of the year. I did 15. I really had 20. I'm going to tell you about three of them. Okay. Because I think that's only fair. Yeah. I'm going to start at number three with Shirley. Shirley was a Hulu release. It is it is a Josephine Decker film. Josephine Decker directed a, a film a couple years ago that was my number one film of the year called Madeline's Madeline. This is a fictional adaptation. Uh, it's Well, it's based off a book about... Shirley Jackson, famous horror writer. The book is a fiction. It's not a real biography. Shirley Jackson had many children. She does not have children in this story at all. Uh, it's 
also a loose sort of adaptation of one of Shirley Jackson's book, Hangs a Man. This is sort of my favorite type of movie where you take, you know, like three-fifths of the truth, two two-fifths of lies, you sort of mix them up together, you give sort of a fantastical version of what's going on. Is there something creepier going on? There's lots of literary references to Shirley Jackson's other works in it, including Haunting of Hill House. There, you know, so you you get sort of this portrait of this sort of damaged woman who is also very much in control of her being. Uh, this young couple comes to stay with her and her husband. Uh, her husband is a professor at the college. In real life, her husband constantly cheated on her. And so he's a bit of a philanderer here. She starts having a romantic relationship with the young woman of the house. Ooh. It's a little creepy, it's very seductive, and it's all around just a fucking good time. You just described me, it's so crazy, I'm sorry. Yeah, I I did, I did. Uh, Highly recommend Shirley, it's on Hulu. My second favorite film of the year was First Cow. First Cow is a Kelly Reichardt film, love Kelly Reichardt. There's a couple of her movies I don't don't love love, but for the most part, I I do really love her. But you love love First Cow. I do. I love that cow. Uh, <laughs> give me the, that cow. Give me. Let me see the cow. I will say the cow uh, is gorgeous in the movie. Absolutely. I was like, okay, uh, stunned. She's like the third best actress on stage right now. <laughs> uh, Kelly Reichardt's films are sort of all all move at their own pace. This movie really breathes. It sort of lets you feel in a, in a way, it's sort of an immersive experience into what life was a bit like. Uh, back in the day and age in which there were no computers and no phones in your pockets to, you know, the, the sort of slower pace of things. It's a story about a man who doesn't necessarily fit in. He befriends a Chinese immigrant and they decide to start going into business for each other, baking, but he needs milk. So they're sneaking onto a rich man's property in the middle of the night and stealing the milk. That's the the basic. However, there's a lot of layers there. Uh, at once you're getting this great story about friendship and bonding between these two men and the love they share for each other they're uh, boyfriends they're old that, they're they, old time boyfriends okay they genuinely are on the other hand and i don't feel like enough people talked about this you're sort of getting a really interesting film about the lie of the american dream mm. and and you're getting this sort of tale of these two people who believe that if they they do all these things if they work towards it you know they'll get enough money and then they'll be the ones in charge and then and it's sort of no it just never was going to happen for them yeah it, it just wasn't because the system was rigged against them from the jump yeah and i think that's a really interesting thing and i like i said i haven't seen enough people sort of talking about this this lie you know it's <laughs> I, I don't want to evoke the phrase, but it's the idea of greatness in America that we've sort of built this foundation on that's kind of false. Yeah, I mean, the people you know? that are rich were always going to be rich. And in this movie, you know, it, they're the people that were going to succeed are always going to succeed. And, right. And this man who, you know, he's in the system that has failed him and... Um, they're ne- they they are never going to be you know the american dream you know it's no or they're never going to attain and, that and i also sort of really love and and i think it's a, a really difficult thing to to sort of portray indigenous people 
in a very respectful manner when you're not an indigenous person and, and it's a really sort of like but I, I love the idea that she has also presented the indigenous characters in this movie who are sort of like well i guess we just gotta play inside this system we don't really have a choice yeah and one of my favorite moments in the film is when two non-main characters uh both indigenous women are talking to each other on a couch and sort of commenting on like how ridiculous the sort of like having to get dressed up in airs to talk to white people right is and i don't know there's a lot of amazing moments in this movie and a lot of deep uh analysis a, a lot more going on than i think you know even though it is making a ton of top tens i don't want to i don't want to say people aren't thinking hard enough about it they definitely are but i i think there's so many layers there to to watch and absorb and and really think about this movie also i to me at the end i was just i i couldn't believe that i was suddenly on pins and needles i was like oh my god um what's gonna happen um but the the cleverness of this movie to not give it all away it, yeah it's it's one of those movies where it's not it's not saying you're not smart enough um, like the other movies you you mentioned. This is a movie that's kind of just not showing their hand in a very teasing but knowing way, um, kind of leading you along but not giving the whole cookies. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just watched First – you watched First Cow like in February. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. I watched it like last week. Um, it is available on Amazon to rent. It's It's worth your time completely. And my number one film of 2020, and a film I definitely think you should see, is a little movie called Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. Bloody Nose Empty Pockets is a film that came out on July 7th. It is a hybrid documentary. Um, essentially, it's a, a film about this bar called the Roaring Twenties. It's their last night open. It's a bar in Las Vegas. And it's really about all the people that inhabit this bar, the sort of bar flies, the regulars, the people that work at the bar. And it's just a peak glimpse into one night of what's happening. It was directed by the Ross brothers who are very, they're, they're known to making these really interesting films. They teamed with David Byrne to make contemporary color a couple of years ago. Uh, and the thing about this movie that you don't really realize is that it is um, curated. I was so going to say, you flew by hybrid documentary without <laughs> nary uh, a care in the world, Gavin. Now, what, uh, when you say hybrid documentary, you really mean... It's a, it's a fiction. It's the Roaring Twenties bar doesn't exist. Uh, the movie is set in Las Vegas. The bar that exists in the movie is set in Las Vegas. The film was shot in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. uh, the characters in the film, they are improving and playing their roles. This movie, is, I was talking to you about this. I saw this. I love it. It's very, if you think too hard about like the actual pieces, it will hurt your brain. <laughs> um, but like as a theatrical experience watching it, it is stunning, um, just because it just doesn't feel like, um, a movie. It feels like you are fully, I don't know, like peeking behind the curtain a little bit at, at these very real people. I thought that, that these filmmakers auditioned like normals, like mostly normals. There are some actors like there are some actors and I mean, that's what I mean. Yes, there are some quote unquote normals, but they're they're acting. They're playing a, a correct. Part. They're essentially playing themselves, you know, in in some way, shape or form. But uh, 
but I think what's interesting about it too is that you get these very real moments and it, and it's so funny because you sort of read what you want out of it. Mm-hmm. And I was having this conversation with you through text. Uh, normally we don't really talk that much about episodes, but this, this, we, we got very excited about this episode and the, the, I think the thing that, that works is that, you know, these filmmakers in, in the, in this IndieWire article by Eric Cohn, they talk about how they really wanted to create this sense of terror, this idea of like, what's going to happen to these people? What, what, you know, what, as the clock's ticking, like, where are these people going to go and whatnot? Uh, I, the, loss in review for variety he said you know he's like does it paint like a creative problem by like encouraging the alcoholism of these people and and they're lying to themselves about seeing each other again they're gonna find a new place and and i walked away from it feeling very hopeful because i saw it as the end of something in these people's lives that would lead to a new beginning hopefully and and that might just be my naivete or me just being a hopeful person. But I was like, wow, this is like watching a family who knows they're not going to see each other for a while, but will eventually find a way to come back together. And and I walked away from it feeling completely refreshed. And and I don't know, I, w- I just haven't seen a film like this in a long time. And it's really fascinating. <laughs> You gotta get out of here. You gotta get you, out. You know, no, no. You shut up a second. Hey, wait. You gotta get out of here. Out of where? This fire? Yeah. <laughs> My number three pick, I feel, connects so well to this movie. And I feel, so can I just like. Yeah, jump in. Okay, so my number three movie is Nomadland, which to me, I, so I watched. Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, two days ago. I watched Nomadland yesterday. And they both had me in the same headspace of family. I don't... Chosen family. I don't know when I'm going to see you again, but I'll see you down the road. And they both had me thinking and feeling that type of way about... And on top of that, Nomadland is... I As the credits rolled, I realized, you know... Swanky is played by Swanky, you know, D- Dave is played by David Strathairn. Like, you know, all of these people besides Francis McDormand and David Strathairn are, pl- are, are themselves. They are themselves. Um, and it like Linda May was Linda May. And so thinking about bloody nose, empty pockets, you know, these are, these are real people, you know, yeah, the lead character in, in the movie, what's his name? Michael. Michael, he says, I used to be an actor. And yeah. you we I remember I was like, I've definitely seen him before. And so he is an actor. And he and so there's a lot of truth in his performance and in you know, it's such a loose uh, from what I understand, they were given like kind of prompts about what yeah. to talk about, but like it's such a loose thing. But you can see like the pain and hurt in the veteran who's talking about, you know, not having a place for himself in the U.S. And then in No Man Land, you get kind of a similar moment from a veteran who is fled basically, quote unquote, normal daily life um, and finding his place in the open road and with these other nomads. Um, yeah, I, I just think uh, 
so so no man land is starring Frances McDormand she is a woman who um, her husband has died and the town that they used to live in um, the the mine that basically sustained the entire mine or the town the mine closed and that zip code like was discontinued no one lives there anymore and instead of uh, you know finding a new home she decides to go on the road and live out of van and the movie's about just her meeting people and 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 I was also thinking that it connects to um, both movies I think connect to uh, first cow because all three of these movies are about the friendship of strangers it it's a risk to put yourself out there especially when you're a certain age like I was thinking about, oh my God, when I go to a bar, ill, I don't want to talk to strangers, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but that's the beauty of like, you know, putting yourself out there. Um, and when we could go to a bar and talk to a stranger and, you know, and imagine you're going every day and you may build that relationship up. It's the same thing with Francis in the movie as Fern building these relationships with these people. I was fully just like moved and, and crying through Nomadland about sadness, but also about hope like what you were saying that there no matter and in nomadland it's not about this one place but just our place here together um which i thought was very beautiful and, and i definitely felt that ring true in empty nose bloody pockets my number two is like i already uh, mentioned before is collective which I'm so glad you said it's funny because I got literally 10 minutes into collective and I was like, Louie needs to see this movie. And you were fucking right. I really, really did. Um, and, and it's so, <clears throat> it's so good. I don't want people to think that because it wasn't in my top 15, it was my 16th favorite film of the year. So trust me, it was right there. Yeah. What's wild is <laughs> I rented it on Amazon. You can too. And there is a, like, one of the first comments is like, oh, my God, this is so good. It's just, like, Spotlight. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, (laughs) ma'am. Collective is a documentary, which I also, we need to talk about, like, what a great fucking year it was for documentary filmmaking. But we'll put a pin in that. Um, Collective is a Romanian movie, a a documentary uh, about journalists who are uncovering this healthcare fraud um, after a deadly fire at a nightclub called Collective in Bucharest, Romania. And the movie starts off just really matter of fact, being like, there was this fire that happened. Um, there was people died in this fire. And then there was 10 times more people died after this fire because they were at the hospital and died, you know, um, who should not have died in, in any modern society should, should have been okay. Who had minor burns or serious burns, but like in contained parts of the body, they were not, you know, yeah. there is a, um, a character in, or I don't want to say a character. There is a woman in the movie who has severe body burns all over her body, lost, you know, fingers and, and, you know, but she survived. And there's a heartbreaking moment where a dad says, my son, was nowhere nearly as bad as burned as she is. And why did he die? Um, so there's a big political upheaval and there is this newspaper called the Sports Gazette and they are just really digging deep into why these people had to die. And turns out the corruption that is really at the root of a lot of government and business in Romania 
were make uh, making the um the cleaner the the the, the sprays and like antiseptic yes like imagine anything that you would use to make sure that your scalpels and your hospitals are clean and sterilized and sterilized it, they were all diluted and so the hospitals were crawling with bacteria um and this newspaper is just unrelenting getting to the bottom of it there's jarring horrifying horrifying video um yeah i will not spoil it for you but it that seeing these journalists at work i think i mean this movie to me is maybe the most important movie like that anyone anywhere could see because it go ahead and i think the other well i think the other interesting thing about it too is you're also experiencing what it's like to be (laughs) you know part of an interim government because yes. their government resigns and these technocrats take over and they're just there for a year. And so there's a new health minister and he's doing his best and slowly begins to realize that every step up the ladder is corrupt. Right. And and so like I think they're, they're, the movie works on two levels. Like on one, educating and showing people truly like what like the hard work of journalism is it is not sexy it is not fun it is hard and actual putting your life on the line to make people hear the truth that is hard work and i think that resonates everywhere especially right now you know media is always under attack right now and 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 um and and you see that happen in collective and then the second track is this new politician who's trying to make the lives of his community better and seeing him slowly realize nothing I do is going to work and nothing I can do, you know, because not only is it corrupt, but the corruption runs so deep that they're able to poison the minds of voters. Yeah. Um, It's, it is a shocking, shocking movie. And uh, like I said, maybe the most important thing you could see. I, I We are it, it, in the United States. It, we are <laughs> very um, tentatively, hopefully breaking free from the tyranny that is like the Trump era and and the full fucking, I don't know, like fog of the truth. Um, and this movie just shows like what a razor thin edge um, that really is that. I mean, that's one of the things I just kept thinking too, where I was like, I just kept thinking throughout the movie, you know, how did things get this bad? And then I fucking looked around. Yeah. And yeah. 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 They talk about like the Gorgon knot of how do we, he's saying, how can I make it? We need to make it um, where that these people cannot sell this product anymore. Why are these businesses still able to sell this product to hospitals? We should be able to say no. And his like assistant or whatever says, actually, we can't do that. That's there's a law that says X, Y, Z. And he's like, well, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Why can't. And he's like, we need to change that. It's truly horrifying. Um, But yeah, that's collective. You can rent it on Amazon directed by Alexander Nanao. Um, It's incredible. But. Even though I think this is the most important movie of the year, it's not my favorite movie of the year. My favorite movie of the year is actually... Um, Sonic the Hedgehog. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. Can you believe Charlotte it? Charlotte Bronte, Sean, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, no, my favorite movie of the year is 
the 40 year old version um, on Netflix. Um, and what I wrote down in my little comments section was Woody Allen found dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what it, I mean. So, uh, 40 year old version is Rada Blank's pr- debut film. Yeah. Uh, she's basically, I, I feel like I'm stealing this from you, but I also really love this movie. Uh, she playing almost a, a version of herself. Yep. She's a playwright and she was on the 30 under 30 list and she just hasn't written anything since that's yeah. she, up to that esteem. She's now teaching like after school theater programs in New York. She's, I mean, this movie to me simultaneously is like the reasons why I love New York, but also yeah. really clearing up that most of New York is bullshit. Yep. Um, and any <laughs> most, most like, like awards like that, like 30 under 30 or, you know, making it to Broadway and the things you have to do. I mean, this movie is a lot about selling out as an artist, the things you have to do to be a successful artist. Um, this movie again is, a, I think to me kind of lifts the mirror of, uh oh god there's a moment where they're like oh my god black female um theater makers are so hot right now we need you and it's yeah i don't know it, she's rada is such a light such she has such energy um I, I i i sat down and watched this movie and i thought god there's still so much in new york that i don't know um, but I'm so happy that there is, I'm happy this movie got made. This movie just like made me feel good. Um, and I thought for, it's our first movie and, and, and was such a good, uh, you know, I was laughing, 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 thinking about all the theater that I have seen, you know, and the people that I've talked to who, or the, my friends who love theater and, and how theater is made. Um, uh, this movie, she, so yeah, she, the movie kind of follows her as she, kind of sells out to write a um a play about gentrification but falls into the trappings of you know the gatekeepers who need her characters to be quote more black and there's a moment where they're like oh my god i read it and thought is this even written by a black person and she is just like (laughs) you can see like the she's boiling and um she finds an escape in rap why my skin so dry why am I yawning right now? Why them AARP niggas sending shit to my house? This is 40. She's an incredible talent. And I think the commentary on like kind of how bogus and bullshit a lot of the art world is, is incredible. Um, and that was my favorite, uh, you know, collective was powerful. Um, and so, so is 40 year old version. But uh, this to me is this, it was nearer and dearer to me, I would say. I absolutely love it. And it's it's funny because, like, I always feel bad comparing filmmakers <laughs> because I think everybody's sort of on their own. But, like, you know, if if the if Bloody Nose Empty Pockets is sort of like the Ross Brothers making a lost Robert Altman film, this, as you mentioned, you know, like Woody Allen found dead. But I also feel like this is Rada Blank making, like, a, a reinvigorated Spike Lee film. Yes, absolutely. And, and, it had you know those great elements of she's got to have it in it, and I don't know, I I I genuinely love that movie, and and you know the look of it too, the shooting it in the high contrast black and white. I don't I don't know, I I can't say enough good things about that, and I hope I genuinely hope this leads to 
to many more films directed, written and directed by her. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and the Rudy Young comparison is just that she, you can tell that this woman, this character, loved New York. It's just kind of this beautiful, glorious, somehow full of love, and yet a just a, a, a really big takedown at the same time of this very, very silly city that we call New York City. So those are all really great picks. Before we move into our fast forward and give a small look ahead into 2021 or what we hope for for 2021, should we just redo our tops and our bottoms real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so my one-star review goes to Bloomhouse's Fantasy Island. And my one-star goes to Fox's and Marvel's the new the New Mutants. That was hard to say. It really is. And my five-star review goes to Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. And my five-star review goes to the 40-year-old version. Let's get into our fast-forward. I think that we need to talk about documentary filmmaking this year. Because I was thinking, like, why are there so many good documentaries that we that came out this year and that I was just so enthralled with? And it got me to thinking just... Life truly is stranger than fiction right now. And the stories of our life, I think, are just so, so interesting. And so watching, you know, Dick Johnson is Dead, which is about losing a grief and, you know, losing a loved one um, and and watching, you know, um, even Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, like these are all movies just that reflect back to us like collective it's i don't know for 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 some as as much as we needed escape this year it felt like a good time to also re-examine you you've talked about this before was it last year or two years ago you said that, you know documentary filmmaking really like did it for you that i feel that way this year for me and i think that's definitely you know it's one of those things where i think people forget um because um I think people see documentaries sort of as a small screen thing. You know, there's so many docudramas, so many documentary shows out, um, even, you know, smaller things like Dateline and whatnot that sort of do these uh, exposés. And so people sort of relegate it to that. And I don't think they have to be a small screen thing for any reason at all. But I do think there is something comforting about sort of being able to sit at home and and feel like you've learned something. And there's so many different types of documentaries that came out this year. Totally. As as I mentioned, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets definitely falls into that territory. Collective is another great example where that's a documentary about investigative journalism. Uh, I included a documentary in my top 10 called Songs of Repression, which was about a cult, a German cult that existed in Chile and they you know it was a documentary that was basically edited and shot like a horror movie and I don't know so there's so many interesting ways that you can present this information to people and get it out there and so many ways to sort of play with the genre and so many ways to sort of make it unique and and really draw people in and I think this was a year where people really sort of expanded that out and really found a way to do new things with it um i mean this has been going on for a while but like to get it out to the audience in a much larger way shape and form yeah and i i think we've talked about earlier like earlier in the year we talked about crip camp and i just like fucking lost my shit at the end yeah. towards the end of that movie um 
And again, like the- which, which is a really great film, and and probably is going to get buried towards the end of this year. But yeah, it's a good one to keep in mind. Yeah, just like stories about ourselves, stories about people, um, the trauma that we've lived through, how we survive. I mean, Crip Camp. Truly, I was like, how do you survive? How do you keep going? The challenges that we face as humans, um, and it's. I think going forward, I mean, no one knows what life is going to be like after the pandemic. No one knows when the pandemic is going to be like over, over for real. We'll be feeling the, um, you know, the ramifications of that and all of the, uh, you know, the protests that we had over the summer, I think for a long time. And so I think we're looking forward. We're going to continue to get that. And, and and this probably like is with the boom of true crime. There was a lot of true crime stuff that came out this year. Um, that's a trend that's been going on for a couple of years now. But I think now we're really at like, especially because of the access and because of the distributors, we're able to get so much good documentary filmmaking out there that doesn't just go kind of... Because I remember a time when documentary filmmaking was truly... I don't... I, it, it felt like you, no one saw any of it. You couldn't find right. it at all. And now there's just so much um, good of it that it, it's 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 hard to ignore, and it like demands to like to be seen, to not be ignored. So I think uh, going forward in 2021, I think for the first part of the year, it's going to be pretty much the same. I think it's going to be a lot of films sort of viewed at home and sort of experienced at home. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think it's eventually going to lead to a time in which we can get back to the theaters. And I'm I'm not really upset about that. And hopefully we can when it's safe. But yeah, I, I'm I'm optimistic. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah, I think for me, like the two big things are documentary and um stage shows. Like that's to me yeah. the big thing. You know, we got thinking about the prom. Which has our <laughs> do en- I have to? Which which has enemy of the pod James Corden in it. This is a show that I watched on Broadway and I thought it was great, loved it, but made no money, lost tons of money, did not win awards, ran for maybe a year, probably less. Um, there is no reason why that there should have been a movie about this or a movie based on this Broadway show, but you know. I keep thinking about, are there going to be more of these kind of, I don't mean to call it a B-list Broadway show. What I mean to say is like, it's not, it wasn't very successful. Are we going to see more of that? You know, the streamers are desperate and thirsty for content. We know we're getting Dear Evan Hansen, the musical, the movie, like, but are we also going to get, I don't know, like once on this Island, are we getting, you know, Percy Jackson? Are we getting Be More Chill? Those are musicals that like, Really didn't do anything, but, you know, they're there, they're built in, we have stars, we have, like, I think that, in addition to to me, I mean, in addition to next year, we're going to have In the Heights and West Side Story eventually come out, um, this new model of showcasing theatrical um, Broadway caliber uh, talent and storytelling in, in the film sense. Um, so those are the two things I'm looking forward to, and and I think we'll we'll see continue to grow and change as we maybe perhaps kind of get back to normal eventually. It, it's nice to look something to have something to look forward to 
especially in this year of loss. We didn't even talk about all of the great people we lost this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Natalie Desell Reed and Chadwick Boseman and, you know, any anybody from like Naya Rivera to Little Richard, you know, yeah. it's, it was a crazy year for <clears throat> losing celebrities, but also losing normal everyday people. And so it it's nice to to think about how we're eventually going to get to a point, hopefully, where things can sort of feel more, you know, I don't I don't want to say status quo. I don't necessarily even want things to go back to the way that they were before but like at least in a way that that feels like oh society is back right and and we and also thinking about you know even we participated in you know watch parties you know being able to watch these movies with our friends i we i talked about it earlier you know this idea that bringing the theater home you and i were hosting with the podcast you know 10 15 people watching you know burlesque god help me um (laughs) Like that is not something that I want to go away, and that I, I, it's I, I think theater and 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 film is such a great way to build community, and I think you know we were able to find ways to continue doing that in these very hard times, and I think we're going to continue to do that, and you know, God help us once the pandemic is over and we're all safe and okay, we can have a watch party together. I'll go down to the IFC Center and have a drink and watch, I don't know, whatever, uh, when it comes out <laughs> with some friends and family. But until then, you know, like movie making is still here with us. Um, there are still great things to watch. There are still bad things to watch. I don't think that, um, even though the things are different, uh, they are not, uh, you know, gone and, 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 and like in Nomadland and like in, uh, bloody noses, empty pockets, like, We'll see you again. We're, we'll down the road. Um, there, there is a future for us all. I couldn't have said it better myself. So I'm going to pretend I did. <laughs> all that, all the things Louis just said, I said them. <laughs> Me. <laughs> but I think that closes the chapter that was 2020. Here's to a better 2021. And now we're going to tell you all the places you can find us online. So if you want to tweet at us, we're at. The mixed reviews. We're also on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. If you want to send us an email, you can do so at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews. If you want to listen to us or our other episodes, as you've been doing, you can listen to us on a myriad of podcast apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartMedia, Audible. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. There's a cornucopia of places <laughs> for you to find us, gals. And if you would be so ever kind please hop on over to apple podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a review we'll read the review on the show yeah i'll give you give you a little shout out you deserve that (laughs) in the new year that's the energy we're giving back um we also have merch on redbubble if you want that uh keep your eyes and ears out for some special bonus episodes coming your way um and also keep an eye on our twitter where we'll put our um pull up um we put that up for every episode so yeah thank you guys so much it's truly been a year of all of us together me and gavin have been flying by the seat of our pants like (laughs) hey do you think people will want to hang out and watch movies with us on netflix like watch party and you guys did and 
<laughs> we thought, oh, people want to buy mugs and shirts, and you guys did. Um, so truly, thank you. It's been a challenging year. Um, also, just thinking about, oh, Gavin, it like, really makes my heart just like swell a million sizes. Thinking about the people who found us you know, when they searched for Angela Bassett or when they searched yeah. for, you know, their favorite actors. Um, uh, we really, really appreciate that. And I want you guys to know, if you've sent us a message about ideas for a show, I want you to know, me and Gavin have talked about it. Absolutely. And they are, they are on the docket. Unfortunately, we can only make these so fast, <laughs> but we have a, the list of um, suggestions like locked and loaded ready to go so in 2021 um some of your recommended uh, uh subjects are coming soon absolutely and you know as much as we hope that we've been able to help you during the pandemic you guys have really helped us during the pandemic we love doing this we love being able to come together every two weeks to talk about films and and have this conversation uh, not just with each other but with you so thank you all seriously for listening and for for participating and for being part of this. It really does mean a lot to us. So with that, I guess, uh, cheers. Cheers. A, a, a late cheers to 2021 and to us and to our listeners. Good night. Bye. Yeah, yeah, ding dong. I don't know why I'm Bob Dylan. Green, why won't you work for me?